it does continually amaze me at the convergence of conditions in each moment. And as I sit here, it's, you know, just seeing the, the, some of the causes and conditions or what's come together just around the topic of tonight. And so I feel like um, there's just two little pieces in that I wanted to share. And one is a piece from my own process of putting this together, and the other was from something that I was seeing today in the interviews. So as I'm sitting in this little cottage reflecting on what I might talk about today, um, it wasn't coming easily. Last time I said I was happy, joyful, (laughs) increasing. Well, it was different today. And, you know, it was 1.30, and I'm thinking, well, you know, what will it be? And nothing, you know, I couldn't just hit upon anything. And 2 o'clock came, and still nothing. 2.30, oh, this, uh, what, 2, 3, 4, 5, 3, 3 hours till dinner, I'll be okay. Um, you know, by 4 o'clock, I was like, you know, you're going to have to say something. <laughs> And then, you know, it, I, I was, so then I start looking in my own experience. So what's here right now that I'm touching into? And there was a feeling of, I'm having a teaching on patience. You know, that this is something that I'm really exploring in this moment. Uh, you know, it's like we want to do something, we have an idea, a plan, whatever, but it does not unfold according to our plans. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, it's still difficult, oh, uh, okay, okay. And, but we stay with it. And so, you know, there was this sense of staying with it. And then I had this memory of this morning, you know, because really wanting to share something that I think will have a relevance to what you're doing here. <laughs> it's not just about me. <laughs> and... I remembered people sharing, and it felt like, you know, people are working really hard in being here. And there's some beautiful things happening. And that's not just coming from having really nice experiences. You know, some people expressed some very, you know, dear to the heart, or, you know, places where the heart just quivers when you hear it. challenges that they're facing. But yet people had a willingness. And I really appreciated that. And one of the, the aspects that I hope that tonight speaks to is just how, how this practice does take, take us deeply. And it really requires of us that we honor this whole process with kindness, compassion, care. And to do that, we often have to fall back on this quality of patience. And one of the things that, uh, an image that I'd always liked around the process of awakening is really that of a flower blooming. And, you know, that the flower is once a seed, then a seedling, and it, you know, 
pushes through the soil, becomes this plant, and then at some point it blossoms. And so somewhere to me, it's a, there's a process that's there. And, you know, some of it's growing pains or, you know, reaching to the sunlight. And there's, there's nurturance that needs to happen. There's lots of um, conditions that need to come together. And there's a, a teaching from Robert Aitken Roshi that really says something of this, reflects it in a, in a little bit different way. He says, when you reflect on the infinite number of happenstances that coalesce to produce you, then you understand how unique, how precious, how sacred you really are. Your task is to cultivate that precious sacred nature and help it to flower. And so that's the work that we're doing here. And it doesn't go as we plan. You know, it doesn't go as we expect. It doesn't go as we want. And sometimes that's downright frustrating, irritating. You know, it, we get thrown by so many different things. You know, that things come out of the left field that we didn't expect. And we're, we just um, can find that there, we can get really brutal with ourselves. We can get harsh. And yet this is the very place that we can learn the true power of patience. And patience in Buddhist teachings has a, a number of different overtones to it. You know, that patience is sometimes talked about as a gentle forbearance. You know, it's not that, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to bear through this. It's not the, the um, you know, just going to stick with it that is the tensing up and, you know, and practicing this too will pass, this too will pass, this too will pass. You know, it's being with experience in a kinder way. You know, and to do that, a really good way that we do that is through an element of wisdom. You know, we find a gentle forbearance when we can be with something and we don't fully understand it, but we can let the mind be confused and we just stay aligned with our hearts. We just stay aligned with our capacity for awakening. We just stay open to the potential that this too can be a place of awakening. And so there's a staying with, and you know, Pascal has spoken of this very beautifully about sometimes really needing to soak in something. And so we don't soak in it so that we suffer more, but so that we can come to understand it in its nature that we can find freedom within this life, within this very experience. And so, you know, it's held by an element of wisdom. And so patience is not devoid of wisdom. It's, just, it's not just that grating edge of being with something. Because there's still an openness of mind to be with.
we find that patience has um, a sense of being able to tolerate. That, you know, often we learn patience around that which seems at first unbearable. That which we feel like we just can't stand to be with. And this can be little things. I mean, you just look at impatience and how uh, in, you know, driving through heavy traffic and, you know, you, you need to get somewhere quickly and there's impatience and you feel like you just can't tolerate it. But you do. You stay with. You're, you actually, we actually begin to use the impatience as a way of developing patience. And it leads to a great tolerance of heart, where we can be with things that, um, you know, whether it's people, that at some point we may have found it just really challenging to be around, but we learn to tolerate differences. We learn to tolerate that which is different. We learn to tolerate that which is uncomfortable. And again, it comes a lot from this perspective that we can always learn. There's always some teaching in what's transpiring. Patience has within it the tone of gentleness. You know, where we really learn to live with that respect for our own unfolding. You know, just as Robert Aitken Roshi spoke of it, that there's this unfolding, this flowering that's happening, and we need to have care and respect for it. Patience we also learn with our loved ones when they do things that we don't like. That, that we learn to accept their process. That you know, they aren't unfolding according to our demands. And we do this with a gentleness of heart. You know, it's like the heart really being able to stay present, to connect, to soften, and that once again has this quality of acceptance which we hear about so often. Accepting that life isn't on our terms. It isn't the way we want it. that acceptance that as a human being, we do experience both pleasure and pain, that we just can't have it one way. We find in Buddhist teachings that patience is really extolled as a virtue. You know, it's talked about um, being one of the highest virtue. It's talked about the uh, path to awaken, the awakened mind or nibbana is um, paved with patience. And yet, you know, patience is often such a difficult lesson to learn. 
And, you know, it certainly has been in my own life that at times when I just can't figure out what the lesson is, and then suddenly it dawns on me that I'm learning about patience here. <laughs> it's extolled as such a virtue. Um, I, I was sitting in this waiting room of a doctor's office once, and this mother came in with two two young boys. I think they're about five and seven. And as we're sitting there, it turned out that, I don't know, I can't remember the exact time, but it was like, say their appointment was at 2.30. And the, the younger of the two boys started fidgeting, started getting really antsy. You know, and it was like three minutes <laughs> past the time of their appointment. And he was really starting to go off the deep end. <laughs> And, you know, so it's this quiet waiting room and this poor mother, this child that's, you know, bouncing off the walls. And then, you know, she mentioned to him about patience. And he yelled out, I don't have any virtue. I don't have any patience. And I know that sometimes in the thick of it, you even, I mean, you could have been struggling today and you hear me say, I'm going to talk about patience and you go, no, you know, it's like, oh, it can just great. (laughs) One of my great teachings around patience came on a trip I had to Burma and This was a trip where I had decided that I was going to go and ordain as a nun. I had been there a few times before, and I'd gone there to do intensive practice. But this time I wanted to go and live as a nun amongst nuns, and just to investigate into how they lived their lives to see what I might bring back to my own life, if there was anything that felt useful and helpful. And, you know, in my own mind, I thought, mm, this is a noble aspiration. You know, it seemed, it seemed good. It seemed like a good thing to do. And so I went to Burma, and I ordained with my teacher. His name is Seda Ujanaka. And um, I told him, I had, but before I went, I had explained what I wanted to do. And so, you know, he arranged for me to go to another area in Burma, Sagain Hills, where there's really a lot of monastics. And he wanted me to go and live with, you know, really uh, nuns who lived very well in their life as a nun. Very well, I mean, be, you know, really taking to heart being a nun and doing uh, a lot of study and practice. So this is what he wanted for me. So when I ordained, it felt incredible. You know, I really, it was going to be a temporary ordination. It was always planned to be that, and it's something common in this lineage. So it felt like a moment of grace when I ordained, like, like the inner world and the outer world came into alignment, uh, like I was really honoring something in myself. But very soon after that, <laughs> trouble began. <laughs> You know, from feeling like, here, you know, I shaved my head, 
that was freedom. I tell you, I'd had long hair most of my life, and suddenly it was like it was gone, you know, and there was no bad hair days left. <laughs> it was great. Um, wearing these robes, so I had, I had apricot-colored robes, and... Um, I made this journey, an overnight bus ride in these robes. I went with a friend, two friends actually. One was a a Swiss woman who spoke fluent Burmese and another was a Burmese woman and they were going to help me settle in. And so we did this overnight bus ride and get up in the middle of the night from sleep and, you know, I get up and my robes just about fall off and I'm completely embarrassed. (laughs) And, um, and, And so, you know, it was a... Just, I felt so awkward and like I w- was not this good nun that I should be. You know, I was, I was watching a lot of tormented states in my mind. And then we arrive in this area of Sagain Hills and went to this, uh, you know, one of the best nunneries in Sagain Hills. Um, and when we went looking around in the nunnery, my friends were with me and, and suddenly it was like, whoa, what have I bitten off here? Can I really do this? Because the conditions in their life are hard, you know, really hard. I was going to be living in this tin shed with two other women, and we couldn't open the windows because of the, you know, there was a lot of thieves in the area, and that there was also it was a way of keeping the bugs out. But you know, when it's hot and you're in a tin shed, you know, it gets pretty painful. <laughs> and then, at, you know, as we toured around the place where I was going to be eating had this fire pit inside and it was black and smoky and dark and just in being there you know I could feel the congestion in the lungs and you know then there was nobody there who spoke English or there was you know this one nun could say mango and (laughs) um, they were pretty pleased about it (laughs) it was kind of interesting and so you know, I was I was just kind of quivering inside and going, whoa, what am I doing? Can I really do this? It just felt like maybe it was going to be a bit too much for me. Um, and then, you know, I'm talking to my friends that night, and they, they said, you know, we're a little bit concerned about you staying here. And I was like, whew, thank goodness. <laughs> but earlier that day, we found a place where conditions were a little bit easier. So I went there. And on so many levels, it was a good life. You know, that I had my own kuti. It was a beautiful kuti. Uh, the place was vegetarian, so this really fit my dietary needs. Um, there was a, a lot of lovely young nuns and elderly nuns there. And yet, I kept hitting difficulties. You know, that I just ran, ran into struggles. And I found myself struggling because wh- a lot of the ideas I had about what would happen when I was there weren't happening. You know, they didn't want me to work with them. You know, a lot of what the young nun did, w- did was to chop vegetables. But they didn't want me to do that because they didn't want my hands to get smelly. You know, sometimes they were chopping smelly vegetables. And so, you know, it was a, from a generous place within them, but it meant that I couldn't just be in the midst of them like I had hoped. They wanted me to sit at a table uh, while they ate on the floor in another room. You know, and sometimes there were celebrations, and I could hear them celebrating, and I sat alone at my table. And then as I sat at my table, I discovered the chair that I sat on had bedbugs in it. <laughs> and they kept biting my bottom. 
And actually, you know, it took me a long time to discover where this was happening, but the bites got so swollen I couldn't sit down. You know, and I just, you know, then there was all kinds of bugs. There was bugs in my bed, you know, and so, you know, it was a place where I started learning, really, the practice of loving kindness. And, you know, this, this, I would wake up in the night and I'd feel that irritation of something biting me, you know, and that impulse when something's irritating to want to, ah, and then it would be like, that moment of, okay, 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 okay. And I learned, and this is where, you know, with patience we learn not to act out of that reactive mind. So I learned to take that breath. And then I also learned to realize this is another living being. So I had my little way, a little jar in my bed. I'd put my bug inside the bottle. And in the morning, I would go. And that was the moment when I could really get more of a sense of connection to these bugs, when I set them free. You know, It was like, oh. then I could wish for their well-being somewhere else. <laughs> but it was a start. <laughs> it was a start. So anyhow... There was many, many conditions here where I was, I was a lot of time pretty agitated. And then, you know, I had great expectations for this, this time that I'd set aside to do this. And, you know, it wasn't a time of being in intensive practice, yet I did some practice. I, so during the day, I'd sit in my room, and then somebody would come and knock at my door, and they would, they would just say, come, come. And then I would go. I didn't ever know where I was going, you know, what I was going to do. I just kind of had to go along. And then, you know, I could end up being gone for hours or for 10 minutes, or I'd get there and nothing was happening, and I'd go back to my room. So, you know, it's a sense that my practice wasn't really deepening, you know, or um, this was one time where it was really strong. You know, I would go to meals, and they would be trying to teach me how to say spoon and fork in Burmese. And then in my impatience and irritation, I'd go back to my room, and I'd go, what does this have to do with my liberation? You know, it's like, you know, I didn't care how you said fork in Burmese. But, you know, what I really came to see was... And it, 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 it dawned on, it, it, you know, I had to see it in front of me to really begin to get it when, you know, I just kept trying to look at what is the lesson that here, what am I learning? You know, and I was, I was trying to just keep doing, keep turning up, keep being there. And then to reckon, I read about until we are fully awakened, there will be mi- times when the mind is, is, filled with confusion or delusion. And, you know, just in the scene of that, I felt patience. I could take away, you know, I didn't have to have this agenda. I didn't have to figure out what it was I was getting. I could open to the process. And this is the gift of patience, where we don't know, we're not sure. But yet, we do know in a certain way that there is some sense of possibility of being able to use whatever happens in our lives. And so if you're sitting here and you find that you are getting impatient with your own process, you know that here we are midway through the retreat, 
and were not enlightened yet? I mean, I remember clearly going to a 10-day retreat and thinking, hmm, this should do it. <laughs> uh, and so, uh-oh, you know, wow. You know, things aren't happening according to our plan. Or we're sitting here and there's mind states that come up that are irritating, that we don't like, that we have struggled with before and we feel like we should be finished with. Come on, how many times do I have to see this? How many times do I have to experience this? We get impatient with the people around us. You know, somebody going through a difficult time and we we lose sight of that and they're stomping. You know, shouldn't they be more caring? Shouldn't Shouldn't they be taking much more care in how they are here? And we, we get impatient with the people around us. We get impatient when our teachers, when they don't seem to understand what we're trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is so many different ways that we might encounter impatience in being here and in our lives. And so, you know, when we see this impatience, it's a, the really learning to be with this feeling of impatience, this, you know, which brings with it that sense of wanting to annihilate, to get rid of that which feels like is stopping us. And, but, you know, out of, in the impatience is the scene that we don't have control, that we can't force. And that there's so much wisdom as we come here and sit in honoring our own process, honoring the unfolding that is happening, and knowing that just as we cannot force a flower to bloom, we cannot force this unfolding. That we really have to just bring the nutriments that we can, of which this patience is a huge part. We find that when we don't have patience, then we are just caught in the reactive mind. That we give our hearts over to anger, frustration. We give ourselves away. We lose our seat. And, you know, to me, again, the the practice is like learning to take our seat in this world where we aren't thrown about by all that comes our way, but that we really sit in the midst of all things. Shantideva, who was a wonderful um, Buddhist teacher who lived in the 8th century. He had kind of three guidelines that around what we can do to help strengthen patience. The first aspect that he spoke about was that of reframing the experience. So when there's something that is 
unpleasant, we don't like, we feel is intolerable, we don't have much time for. Remembering that anywhere we have a contraction of heart, this is where the mind is not yet free. And where the mind is not yet free, this is the place we can discover freedom. So it's like finding some way that we can open to a bigger picture in this moment so that we can have this gentle forbearance. It's also that place where, you know, we get interested in where the mind is resistant, where the challenge is, that we really look in this place. Now, what is happening when we say, no, I don't want this, this isn't okay? What's the reaction to? And really looking into the experience itself. You know, whether we find that there's a body sensation that's intolerable, whether we find there's a mind state that's intolerable, whether we find that um, there's a thought that we just can't bear. One of my teachers, Sayada Utejaniya, he says, when I have a weak point, this is where I challenge myself. You know, so to be interested where there is um, this sense of something being intolerable. And another teacher of mine, Mingyur Rinpoche, he says, where it is most challenging is the best place for practice. You know, it's really through the difficulties that we will discover the places we are not yet free. And this is okay. And then we be with the process. We take care with a tender heart to where we might feel shut down, blocked, resistant. There's a Chinese proverb that says, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. And you know, that is the power of impatience. And you can ask somebody in jail about that, who might have had that one moment of acting really impulsively on that reactivity. And you can do so much damage in that moment. And it's hard to mend that. So it's so necessary that we learn where this mind that is so reactive, that we give it space. That we, you know, that's where we learn to do things like we were told as a child. Take a breath. (laughs) 
How many times did we hear that? You know, and it, it is like, what can we do to give this space in this moment? So, and that's what the, that, that's that quality of patience, you know, where we just don't lash out in that moment, but we have, we can step back, we can look from another perspective, and out of that, we stay engaged. We stay in the process. So the first aspect that Shantideva speaks about, that of reframing the attitude towards discomfort, that which is challenging. So letting it be a place of learning in our lives, not a sign of failure. I mean, just looking at how many times, if we're sitting and there's a predominance of unpleasant experience, we can start to think we're no good, the practice is no good. We define ourselves by unpleasant experience. Unpleasant experience is not a personal failing. It is in the realm of human existence. So anyhow, reframing one's attitude. The second aspect is that of recognizing or understanding the complexity of situations. That we live in, right now, a very complex world. You know, just the level of complexity of our day-to-day lives is huge. And so, of course, that brings challenges. And out of the complexity, we often learn coping strategies that may serve us in one moment, but become a self-made prison later in our lives. You know, when we were children and we didn't know how to be with our pain, we may have learned strategies to push it away because we couldn't face it or we would be totally destroyed by it. But later in life, It leads to a very fragmented way of living. And so, you know, what we learn to accept that sometimes the conditioning that we have gained in our lives really needs to be deconditioned. And that, you know, that we can at times do harmful or hurtful things because that is actually what we learned somewhere. You know, if somebody, it's it's so common that if somebody's been abused in their life in some form, that if there isn't awareness brought to this, that this is how we will relate to other people because that's what we learned. And so, you know, that when we start to see the complexity of all these conditions, we start to have more understanding that we don't always just instantly know the best way to respond. That we really have to relearn something here. And that takes time. And that takes a patience with the process. We also find that you know, we don't know the conditioning of other people. So when somebody does something that we don't like, we don't appreciate, you know, we can stop and step back and kind of 
get a sense that there must be something in their lives that is causing them to respond in this way in this moment. And so, you know, even just coming in contact with the complexity that we face as human beings helps to bring about um, what is that Shantideva re- refers to in the third aspect um, is the development of tolerance. That, you know, we find that we become more tolerant as we recognize how challenging it can be to be a human being. And that, you know, that we, we stop expecting that people be perfect, or perfect according to who is always the question. But, you know, we really see that, um, you know, we are doing the best we can as living beings, you know, responding in the best ways that we know. But sometimes we're just confused. But, you know, with tolerance, you really begin to see that, you know, a lot of what our anger towards people can be is, is like a sense of somebody who's really sli- sick and slapping them to make them well. You know, it's that brutal sometimes how we respond. But, you know, just as we begin to see the suffering, understand what suffering is and how painful that is, it, it, it brings about a great compassion in the heart. You know, that we deeply care for living beings. And what makes compassion tolerable is knowing that there can be an end to suffering. That even though there is this complexity in life, even though as a human being we are subject to so so much that is difficult and challenging, that actually there is really a way to be free in this. You know, I once was perplexed about this. Um, You know, that how can we really open our hearts when there's so much suffering in the world? And, you know, as I traveled around to different teachers asking them this question, the the kind of the, the, uh, the permeation of the answer that kept coming back from these teachers was because our suffering is based in misperception. And that by really seeing clearly, we find this release from suffering. So we discover with patience a tolerance that is based in what compassion is, is that capacity to stand with pain. And, you know, it's where we can stand with and we're not broken by, we're not overwhelmed by, but we can be present with. And, you know, with, when it's truly compassion, it's not, it's your suffering. It's not someone's suffering. It's this is suffering. And compassion has that movement of heart to alleviate it. And so, you know, we know when we're in troubled water, that movement of heart to alleviate it can be that gentle forbearance. 
to really let the mind be with this, to see it clearly, to know it, to find the freedom. There's a poet from the Boston area. Um, his name is John... It's funny, I can't even read it. Um, Chiardi? I'm not sure of the pronunciation. And he says, Patience is the art of caring slowly. You know, so to get some sense of this, that in these moments where there's some difficulty some challenge, something we'd like to run from, the patient heart can stay, can be kind, can honor the process, even though it's not comfortable, it's not easy. You know, it's not that in moments of great patience that everything is peachy keen. You know, it, it, but it is some real aspect of a gentleness of heart, a tenderness, a forbearance. And it's, it's that moment of staying in alignment with our hearts and not giving ourselves over to these states of aversion, frustration, It sometimes goes against the flow of our culture. You know, where instant foods, instant, you know, we want things so quickly. We don't want to take the time. You know, that I'm sure if we advertise these retreats as a way to instant enlightenment, you know, we're only a hundred people here. I think we could it'd probably be a lot more. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to hear about that. And it's a mix because, you know, awakening is possible in any moment. But it's this quality of patience that's going to help us stay with this journey, stay with this unfolding. It's going to nurture. I mean, one thing's for sure is in moments of impatience, there is suffering. You know, this is just the way it is. And so, to see, can we be with? Can we have this gentle forbearance? Letting life unfold. Actually, I wanted to share this. It's from Albert Einstein, and he was asked once about creativity. And this was his response. He said, Research may take many years of groping in the dark. Hence, the ability to hold on to a problem for a long time and not be destroyed by it. Failure is necessary for any serious research. 
I mean, I don't even think there, there is a failure, you know, so long as we learn from it that there is no such thing as failure. I'd like to close tonight with something from uh, Rainer Roque. He says, I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you wouldn't be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So, living our way into the answer. Letting all that's unresolved be there. Life is such a mystery. (laughs) Can't work it out, can you? (laughs) But here we are. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the grace of the patient heart. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.